live with the Texas Values Report. Hello everyone, my name is Mary Elizabeth Castle. I'm the Senior Policy Advisor for Texas Values. And I'm so happy to be with you here today as we're celebrating a weekend of pro-life activity. We have the March for Life going on right now in Washington, D.C. Then we have the Texas Rally for Life uh, happening tomorrow uh, in the afternoon here in Austin, Texas. And that's why our guest today is very special. We have the Honorable Judge Austin Reeve Jackson. Now, you should know who he is. He's a very high-profile defendant of a very uh, interesting, some call controversial, we call very fortunate uh, case at the Supreme Court. He is the Jackson in Whole Women's Health versus Jackson. Welcome, Judge Jackson, to the Texas Values Report. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And as you said, what a, what a day to be here as we celebrate this, this weekend of life. Absolutely. And I would just like to share uh, some of Judge Jackson's background. The Honorable Austin Reeve Jackson is a third generation Smith County attorney who moved home over a decade ago to open his own business, the Jackson Law Firm, in 2008. And prior to that, he worked at a law firm practicing both civil and criminal law in East Texas and Central Texas. He currently serves as judge of the 114th District Court. He's a graduate of Lindell High School, the University of Dallas, and this is something we both share. He's a graduate of the great Texas Tech School of Law, and he now is a seminary student at Fuller Evangelical Seminary, um, where he's received legal awards and recognition. Uh, However, like I said, many of our listeners will know you from Whole Women's Health v. Jackson, a case that was filed to attack the heartbeat law, but... Fortunately, they have failed. So thank you for coming on our show. Um, And just to go into your background, uh, there's so many different types of judges. When I'm talking to people, uh, they say, oh, I need to vote for a judge or this judge was appointed. So can you just tell our listeners about different judges and courts uh, and just explain to them what your role is as a district judge? Sure. To, to give you sort of the 500-foot overview, uh, the most common court people deals, deal with are our Justice of the Peace courts here in Texas. Uh, those are the, the people you go see when you have a traffic ticket. And then you've got your county court of law judges, which uh, are, are local to your, your county, uh, and they handle misdemeanor offenses and some civil litigation. And then you have what I am, which is a district judge. Um, and a district judge hears both uh, criminal and civil cases. Um, at least in smaller counties like ours. And uh, the criminal cases we hear are predominantly felony uh, criminal offenses. Uh, and then from us, you step up to, to the various ranks of, of the appellate courts. Uh, and so most of my day uh, is, is uh, consumed with uh, handling felony cases, um, civil cases, med- medical malpractice, car wrecks, uh, just the whole gamut. Uh, and it's the kind of job where most of the time uh, you can kind of keep a low profile and, and people don't even know who their district judges are because we're, we're up here just in the courthouse doing our work day to day. And we are, as you said, elected. In fact, I had, had just gotten elected when, when this lawsuit came about. And so I had come off the campaign trail, uh, excited about getting to work and, and getting off of sort of that, that publicity high of, of campaigning uh, and just going about doing my job quietly. And next thing I know, here comes a, a lawsuit that sort of uh, thrust us into in front of uh, a whole lot of folks. 
Yeah, and we'll talk about that loss later on. You know, it's very interesting how uh, they chose their different people to sue because they were really stumped. They couldn't sue the attorney general this time. And so they had you, they had uh, one ordinary citizen in the lawsuit as well. And so it was just really interesting, the strategy they had to go through. Now, Senator Brian Hughes, who was the Senate author of the Texas Heartbeat Act, he's also from the Tyler area and Smith County area. Did the two of you know each other, you know, before this lawsuit or even before he filed the heartbeat bill? Uh, we, we did, actually. Uh, I first met Senator Hughes long before he was a senator. when He was just okay. a, a practicing lawyer. Uh, and we met in one of the, the rural courthouses here in East Texas. Uh, and I thought, man, that's a, that's a nice guy. And I wonder what he's going to go on and do with his life. And next thing you know, sure. he's getting elected to the Senate and then uh, becoming a, a leader for us in the Senate on all kinds of issues, in particular pro-life issues. Um, and so it was great to, to have had that relationship uh, with him over the years so that when this happened, I can tell you he was the, the very first person to reach out to me when he found out about the lawsuit. And um, from the moment it happened, uh, offered his support. Um, we, uh, we were uh, immediately under a lot of pressure from folks. And he came from Austin, drove up here to Tyler, put a lot of other stuff to the side uh, to be with us uh, just days after the lawsuit was filed to, to stand with us as, as we um, decided to take on this issue. And so uh, what he did uh, to craft this legislation and then personally what he did to support us through this whole process, and I can't thank him enough. Absolutely. It's interesting how those relationships and connections come full circle. Uh, and we actually saw that. Uh, press conference, and you did an excellent job of just really defending your personal stance, but also defending the law itself. Um, I believe, you know, people would be interested to know about you, the man behind the lawsuit. Um, You know, what are your convictions? And tell us about, you know, why protecting life of the unborn is so important to you. Well, I think uh, like, like a lot of men, probably this issue uh, is not one that as a young person I'd personally dealt with or that was on my radar much. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, in, in 2013, um, June of, of 2013, my wife and I were down in Austin when Wendy Davis had her pink tennis shoes filibuster. <laughs> and to be down there and to, to, to get caught up in, in the passion of what was going on in, in the Capitol and, and the importance of, of this issue to so many people, for the first time, it, it sort of clicked with me that, and there's something, there's something to this that's, that's bigger than just, oh yeah, life is good, we ought to support life, but, but this, is, this is a much bigger issue than I, I had uh, ever considered. And then it was uh, about a year later that uh, my first daughter was born. And uh, <laughs> going in that first time, uh, for the first sonogram and hearing that heartbeat and seeing that child up on the screen. Uh, and it was a child. I mean, th- there's no doubt when you look at that picture, a, a, a living, heartbeating, feeling child. Uh, and that moment, um, that's what made the issue really, really real. And having had that experience uh, just, just prior down in Austin, then seeing it for myself and feeling it for myself in a way that I hadn't, that, that, that is what firmed up for me. This is, this is huge. This is big. Uh, this is something that, that it's not enough for me to, to donate to organizations that, that are pro-life. It's not enough uh, for me to, to support people uh, promoting adoption as, as an alternative. 
um, that's not enough. I've, I've got to find ways to actively get more involved to support this issue. And so I started looking uh, for those. And when I campaigned to get elected judge, um, one of the things I did that, that uh, attracted a lot of negative attention from certain groups is I came out very um, unabashedly uh, pro-life. And I, I think that, that if you're a judge and you take an oath to defend the Constitution, um, not a single right in the Constitution matters absent the right to life. And that right applies to all people, regardless of their race, regardless of how much money they have in their pocket, regardless of whether they are in the womb or out of it. And every other right is, is, is worthless without that right to life. And so I, I came out publicly and uh, strong on that issue. And I, I made the promise to the people here in Smith County that if elected, if I had the opportunity to continue to take a stand on that issue, I wouldn't hide behind the black robe, uh, which I, mm -hmm. I think a lot of judges do, uh, where you take, oh, well, I'm a judge, I can't speak on this issue or I can't take right. a public stand. Um, if I can publicly take an oath to do this job and defend the Constitution, then I can absolutely uh, take a stand on the issues that, that directly affect that oath. And this is one. And so while I was uh, committed to following through on that, I honestly didn't think I'd, I'd get a chance to do it this quickly or, or in this <laughs> way. Um, but it was uh, it was one of those things that, that when the lawsuit happened, um, because of my experiences um, and because of my, my beliefs and commitments, and my values, there wasn't a moment of hesitation. Uh, and I, I got to say a special uh, word of thanks to my wife um, when I brought this thing home and it, it was a giant stack. Uh, if you've ever been sued in federal court, you know, they, they bury you in documents. And I said, oh, hey, wow. look, this is what happened. <laughs> and she didn't take a take a breath before she said, we're in it 100 percent. And I told her, well, you know, some people are going to push back on this and some people are going to say it's not appropriate for a judge to take a, a public stand like this. She said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're with you 100 percent. And she was the first of many, many people in this community to, to uh, make that commitment to me. Wow, that's amazing. And I think a lot of people have that similar story, which is why it was pretty monumental when we passed the Texas sonogram bill uh, several sessions back. Uh, just having that opportunity to see that baby and now we have the heartbeat law, having that opportunity to hear the heartbeat. We believe so many women who can be abortion-minded, once they see the sonogram or once they hear the heartbeat, it really humanizes the human inside them. And they begin to realize that that's a life and that's a life worth protecting. So that's a beautiful story of how, you know, that contributes to uh, your pro-life message and pro-life beliefs. But also it's, we're very thankful for elected officials, whether they're a senator or even a judge, who are willing to stand up for their pro-life beliefs because we realize it isn't easy. And so hats off to you for that. Well, um, thank you. I, it, I think it's important to do, as you said. Yes, absolutely. And now you're being sued or we're being sued. And that's a role you probably didn't expect to be in. I think, like you said, it's easy to donate, to do marches, to post on social media, but to get into the fight, to into the thick of it is really something to be admired. And it's really tough. You know, the method that they had to use to attack the heartbeat law was very unique because this heartbeat law is different. As we've discussed many times on this show, the government doesn't enforce it. 
So they couldn't sue the attorney general or any state official. They had to go against unique parties in this case. And Judge Jackson had the honor, if you could call it that, to be one of those defendants who was sued by Whole Woman's Health and Planned Parenthood and other abortionists. So explain to our listeners why you were sued in particular and what the claims were against you in the lawsuit. So um, let, let me start with the, the question about what the claims were, um, uh, because they, they were, as you said, sort of unique. Um, because of the way this law was set up with its citizen enforcement, uh, there wasn't a way to really challenge the law until somebody filed suit under it. Uh, that is, until somebody went after an abortion provider or somebody that helped facilitate an abortion. Uh, and so to, to get around that, uh, what Planned Parenthood and these other organizations decided to do is to sue a district judge because a district judge had jurisdiction over that case if anybody sued a, an abortion provider. And they said, well, we're going to preemptively sue these judges and tell them that, that they can't do this, that they can't enforce the law, which, uh, again, is part of our oath as judges, that, that we don't write the law, we don't uh, make the law, but we do enforce it. Uh, and we apply it. And so they wanted to preemptively tell us, well, despite the fact that if that's what you were elected to do, and despite the fact that you took an oath to do that, um, we, we want to have a single federal judge down in Austin uh, commandeer the entire Texas state judiciary. I mean, that, that, that's how big this was. And, and, and just, uh, you know, the, the gall of, of these people to come in and find one unelected judge who uh, was, was sympathetic to their um, position to come in and tell the hundreds of judges across the state of Texas, well, you can't do the job that the legislature has, has told you to go do. Uh, so that's what, that, that was their, their method and that, that was their goal. And they thought, well, if we see these judges, uh, we're gonna put the judges in a, in a position where they can't legally go forward. And I think as far as why we were sued, uh, there are a couple different reasons. One was, of course, um, that relationship that I, that I had with Senator Hughes. Um, as I said, it, it was publicly, uh, he and I have known each other a long time. He's been an incredible supporter of mine and in many different areas of my life. Uh, and, and I have been very supportive of him. I've been a, a campaign contributor to him, uh, have certainly voted for him uh, and, and made that public. And so uh, I think there was a way they could kind of get a dig in at Senator Hughes as the author of the bill by coming after somebody in his district. And I think based on what happened after the lawsuit was filed, they also thought that a new judge, newly elected, uh, might, might be easier to intimidate, might be easier to get to just go along with, with the lawsuit. Because I'll tell you, we immediately started getting pressure uh, from folks to just, just throw up our hands and say, you know what? Yeah, this, this law is just it's too much. It goes too far. Um, absolutely, uh, we agree. We, can, we can't enforce this law. And I think that would have been such an incredible win uh, for the pro-abortion folks, if they could take uh, point to a judge who had had been publicly very pro-life, and that judge w was coming out and saying this law went too far, and say, well, look, e even people on the other side think this law is too much. Come on, courts, yeah, you, you got to overturn this law. And so I, I think they thought they had a soft target, um, but but Smith County is full of, of hardworking. Um, uh, blue-collar type folks who who don't back down from a fight when it's important to them, and Good. and so what I don't think they realize is when they they came after me, they were coming after 150,000 other folks here in Smith County, uh, and so they they were a little surprised by our response. That's important to note as well. You represent the people. A lot of elected officials sometimes think themselves, or the people think themselves about elected officials that they kind of represent something. Uh, that's different uh, from what the people believe. But 
when they attacked you, they attacked the people of Smith County, but also they attacked the people of Texas because Texans elected Senator Hughes. Texans elected all these officials who voted in favor of the Texas heartbeat law. And it's the Texas heartbeat law. It's a law that represents the beliefs um, and the values of everyday Texans. So that's very true that they didn't just go after you. Uh, they really went after the people of your county um, and the people of Texas. So that's very important to note. You know, thankfully, the United States Supreme Court ruled in your favor, and the Heartbeat Act still stands today. And we even have a recent victory of where the Supreme Court denied uh, sending it back to the very famous federal court here in Austin, where they think they can always win, unfortunately, because of ideology. But can you give a brief analysis of the court's decision? And if you were there in D.C. when there was the hearing uh, back in November, uh, if you can talk about your experience maybe being able to sit uh, inside. I know not a lot of people were able to sit inside, but can you talk about the court's decision and your experience and being a defendant in that case? Sure. Well, we were not able to, to actually be there with oh, okay. uh, the court's COVID restrictions and all the, the uh, uh, limits that they had. Um, but we were certainly watching it, uh, listening to it live. And I, I got to tell you, I think every lawyer uh, hopes to one day appear in the Supreme Court, uh, <laughs> but but not, not, none of us expect to, to be there as a defendant. So that right. was sort of odd to, to hear them call the case and, and hear your name as the, the defendant at the Supreme Court. Um, but I think uh, looking back on, on the oral argument uh, for this case, it was clear from the beginning um, that you had a group of judges that were committed to following the law and a group of judges that thought we ought to just take legal process and norms and chunk them out the window uh, because abortion is such an important issue to them. Uh, and, and I'm glad the right side won out on that. Um, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned the hearing or, or the opinion itself. Um, what, what the judges basically stood up and said is the rule of law, of law applies to uh, most of the defendants in here. Uh, and the rule of law says you can't come in and just preemptively sue a district judge or a district clerk. Um, that that violates all sorts of, of constitutional norms and provisions. Uh, and so those defendants have to be let go. And then as the remaining defendants, there's a process you have to follow. The fact that this is abortion doesn't mean that it's entitled to some sort of special treatment or special protection that you get to bypass the normal route every other case takes to get up to the Supreme Court. And so they sent it back uh, to the Fifth Circuit and asked the Fifth Circuit to then send it back to the district court. Uh, you mentioned the recent victory just yesterday. Uh, the Fifth Circuit has now certified uh, a question on, on state law to the court of uh, the Supreme Court of Texas. Uh, and so the case is not actually back in the district court yet. It's still up there at the Fifth Circuit, um, which I think is, is not only the right legal move, but I think it's the right strategic move. Uh, because we all know, all know that, that Dobbs is, is hanging out there. Uh, and and uh, given the um, the, the fact that we now have a Supreme Court that seems more committed to um, what are actual constitutional rights and actual American values, uh, I think we all are hopeful that, that uh, there are big changes on the horizon. And so um, I think that's a very smart move by the Fifth Circuit to, to let the state court address this issue. And I think it's important uh, because this is a, a state law. Um, this is, as you just, just mentioned, a law crafted by people lawfully elected by the citizens of Texas and a law which those uh, same citizens expect their courts to enforce and rule on. And that is the normal process. And, and too often, uh, going back to, to, to the 80s, um, we, we have in this country allowed abortion, this, this sort of 
uh, most favored child status where, oh, it's a, an abortion issue. You get a free pass. You, you don't have to go through the process. You can pick the court you want to go to. You can pick the judges you want to hear this case. And you know what? what we're going to give you uh, the speed pass right up to the Supreme Court. Um, and, and the rules ought to apply equally to every issue, to every citizen. That's, that's the way our country was set up to work. Uh, that's what makes us great is that there are no favorite children under the law, that we are all equal and every issue should be treated equally. And so I was glad to see the Fifth Circuit yesterday send that back to the state court where, where, where that question belongs. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There's a lot going on in the pro-life sphere, as you mentioned. We also have the Dobbs case coming up. Uh, but, you know, we're thankful for the Texas heartbeat case. And because of you standing strong, we're close to 20,000 babies being saved. We have a calculator on our website, TexasHeartbeatLaw.com, where we're calculating how many babies a day are being saved since it went into effect September 1st. And right now we have a total of 20,000 babies that have been saved since it's been in effect. And we're just grateful for you standing strong um, and, you know, being a defendant in this case. It's no small task. And I'm sure it's been really heavy, but it's been a blessing as well to uh, see elected officials really stand for pro-life issues and to see the success as well. And we're very optimistic about what the Supreme Court will do on other pro-life issues, especially in the Dobbs case, because of what they've done with the Texas heartbeat law. So I'm really excited uh, about the pro-life movement. And thank you, Judge Jackson, so much for coming on our program today. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you and how you're fighting for pro-life in your position. Well, I, I'm happy to be in this fight and, and happy to, to be here with you today. I really appreciate it. Um, one, one other thing I'd add, though, is, is that while I, I appreciate your comments about how hard it, it was for me, and, and there were some, some rough times, um, I want to say again, the community of Smith County made it so easy uh, to, to take on this fight um, because they, they stood up uh, immediately on this issue and stood up with me and frankly got in front of me and took some of the arrows that were directed my, my way and, and, and they absorbed them for me and for my family. Um, and, and to live in a community like this with these shared values and with a commitment to, to get into the fight and support those that do, just a wonderful place to live. So I, I want to just make sure I thank them because uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. That's great. It's always great to have that community. Thanks for fighting the good fight, Judge Jackson. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Now, before we sign off on the Texas Values Report, I just wanted to have a few reminders for our listeners. Like I said, today is the Mar National March for Life. Uh, you can find that streaming on our Texas Values Facebook page if you want to see others. Our President Jonathan Sines and other members of our Texas Values team are there in Washington, D.C., braving the cold, braving whatever wintry mix that is coming down on that city uh, to be there at the March for Life. So if you want to know more about the different groups up there, the different speakers, definitely check out our Facebook page for any updates about our team being there. But tomorrow, since you're in the Austin, Texas area where it's sunny, but it's cold, and it might be sunny again tomorrow, you can be at the Texas Rally for Life tomorrow. It begins at 1 p.m. Uh, if you're with a group and setting up a table, then you know you get there around 1230. But we'll have the Texas Rally for Life tomorrow. 
The keynote speaker will be Governor Greg Abbott. So if you're in the area, you have some free time on a Saturday, please come out and march because this is a very special march where we're celebrating so many great pro-life things in the state of Texas. So you want to be there tomorrow at 1 p.m. Also, with Texas Values News, uh, you may have seen on our Facebook page this week that the Save Women's Sports Law went into effect January 18th. Now, that's the law making sure that biological males are not competing in female sports. That bill was passed in the last special session of last year, and it went into effect this week. And if you go on the UIL website, you can even see where they changed their non-discrimination policy to include that males cannot compete on female teams. Uh, and that is banned right now in K through 12 schools. So that is a great victory uh, for Texas girls, for our organization. And if you want to watch uh, our uh, press conference on that issue, then you can go to our Texas Values Facebook page and go to our YouTube page to check out that video. If you want more information about that law, about that bill, about our efforts to even tackle NCAA sports, then you can go to txvalues.org to learn more about that information. And if you would like to donate, you can also go to txvalues.org as well. We're doing a lot of great work in the state of Texas and around the nation, and we always appreciate your support. Now it's been a good broadcast with you. I hope you enjoy your weekend. This is Mary Elizabeth Castle with the Texas Values Report. Have a wonderful uh, Saturday afternoon and Friday afternoon if you're watching through Facebook. Thank you.